Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Children, you're dismissed for Grace Church, Grace Children's Church, Grace Kids. Thank you for staying with us and singing. Folks, turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. We're in the New Testament, the book of Mark. Um, and I don't mean to call you out, but BJ, I got to thank you for moving to back to this side. When you were sitting over here, you messed my world up. Because see, all of you have a spot here at this church, okay? And BJ was sitting back there, and I was completely unbalanced, like I had an inner ear problem. But then she moved to this side, and Mike, you were just as confused when you walked in. I saw your face, but she made everything right. Whew. We're in the book of Mark. We're starting in chapter 1. Today's sermon is titled, The Beginning of Christ's Ministry. This is important for the Christian believer. Very important to see how everything started because we are living in this ministry. So let me just give you my brief introduction here. Because I want to plan ourselves in Mark for a while. I want to do a series with you and walk with you through this book. The book of Mark is believed to be the oldest of the four Gospels. I, I truly agree with that. It is a book of action. You're going to see words like immediately this and immediately that. It's like rushed. And it's a book of action. And it's also a book of preaching. Just like the book of Acts is a book of practicing Christ taught man in Mark, and man practiced what he taught in the book of Acts. So today we're going to look at the beginning of Christ's ministry, and it's a ministry, the reason we're doing this, it's a ministry where the followers of Christ changed their world. They did not have the avenues of communication or technology that we have today, yet they turned their world up side down. These fishers of men were led by the Holy Spirit. These fishers of men were given gifts that were used for growing the church. These men accomplished great things, great things in the name of Christ. And it all stemmed from the preparation, the pleasing, the preaching and the planning that God had for His creation. And we're going to get to see this today. Let's talk about the preparation first. In your Bibles, look at Mark. Let's read the first eight verses. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he 
will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 3, these first three verses tell us exactly who this book is about, along with the supporting prophecies. Now, there's actually two. Yes, Isaiah is mentioned. Isaiah 40 is prophesying this, but so was Malachi 3. So we have two texts that have been prophesied about what we're reading and studying today. The words, your face, your way, make his path straight. This is all talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, not only did he come preaching the gospel, he is the gospel. So this is the Lord's first public appearance and entrance into the work of his ministry. And this is where Mark starts, which is interesting. Because if we look to the other books or the other gospels, such as Matthew and Luke, they start much further back. They start at the birth and genealogies. And then John, he takes us even further back. He takes us all the way back to eternity, okay, before the creation of the world. But Mark starts right here at the beginning of the ministry, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's preaching happening. There is preaching happening by a man called John the Baptist. I know you know who John the Baptist is. This preparation involved John proclaiming a baptism of repentance. This proclamation, including the baptism, was about forgiving sins. This is what he was preaching. And all of this pointed to Jesus. So in essence, John was traveling ahead in advance to make things ready for the king's coming, which happened often in times of antiquity. There would be forerunners to clear the path of debris, rocks, trees, uh, vandals. They would clear them before the king came to cross that path. And that's what John the Baptist is doing right here. Another thing um, is that, or another thing that I find interesting is that the Bible tells us that Mark introduces John baptizing in the wilderness. Now, this is a place that brings, uh, brings to mind that um, the, the deliverance of the Israelites, but also the disobedience. So we have the disobedience and, of Israel, and we have God's redemption that we find in the wilderness. But all in all, Jesus was coming. His arrival would take over where John the Baptist's work left off. Basically, John was a forerunner. Now, the description of John is also something really neat. The description of John is like Elijah. In fact, in 2 Kings 1.8, it says, They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. Which describes John the Baptist as well. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. And then in Luke, Luke 1, 16 and 17, it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient 
to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the description of John and how he lived shows us something uh, very significant. It shows us that he did not want to bring attention to himself. This was not his rock show. Okay? He did not bring attention to himself, but attention to the message of repentance. It was a great work, a great work that John did, and it was a great work that he was appointed to. He even states, he even states that he is not even worthy of a task that a Gentile slave would usually do or or perform for their master. Stooping down to untie that sandal, he was not even worthy of it. So what John, as the forerunner, preparing a people for Jesus, is saying is that the one who was coming was superior in every way. Superior in person, superior in his work, and where John's baptism was symbolic, hear me out, where John's baptism was symbolic, Jesus would introduce the reality. That is the preparation that's happening at the beginning of this ministry. So let's talk about the pleasing now or the pleasure of God. Look in your Bibles. We're still in Mark 1. That's where we're going to be today. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up, Out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The preparation has done something awesome here. The preparation has brought us to the confirmation. See, Jesus travels from Nazareth to the Jordan River where John is baptized. Now, we're not sure of the exact location. We have some general ideas. But we know that he traveled to John where he was baptizing. Now, I'm sure John thought when he saw Jesus, when he finally figured things, he he probably said, me baptize you? (laughs) Shouldn't you be baptizing me? Well, Matthew 3, 13, 15 kind of gives us a good answer to this question. Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Now, that's interesting. Of course, this is John looking back, explaining what happened. See, Jesus did not need to repent of anything. Have you ever thought about why in the world did Jesus Christ get baptized? He didn't need to repent, right? But yet he followed through in baptism. Jesus did not need to repent, and yet he did this. He was God, Yet he followed through with baptism. See, the main reason for this, here is the main reason. And he says it himself, but here it is. 
It was obedience to God's will. In that verse, he was obeying the Father to fulfill all righteousness is what he said. He was being obedient. So at the very outset of his ministry, Jesus identified himself with God's prophet, John. He identified himself with the message that had been being preached. And he identified himself with his people. With his people. You know, God's justice, because we serve a just God, God's justice must be satisfied. And Jesus, our Savior, by his baptism, confessed that he would satisfy. He was confirming, professing that he would satisfy the justice of God by dying under the wrath of God as our substitute. Look at this verse in Luke 12, 50. Listen to this. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Hey, Jesus is not talking about the act of baptism in water. He's not talking about the the, the baptism of spirit, folks. What he's talking about here is the passion. The passion. What he came to do. The cross. It was the anticipation of Calvary. The very act of obedience in baptism. Ready for this? The very act of obedience in baptism that started his ministry, which was symbolic. If you understand baptism, it was symbolic. Would be the very act that concluded his ministry. His death and resurrection, which became a reality. And when we're baptized, we're immersed and we come back, right? It would become a reality. I am so moved that Jesus was baptized in the beginning to show us, to give us a foretaste, if you will, of what he came here to do. And then the scripture says something just outstanding, mind-blowing. The heavens were torn open. They were torn open. The Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the Jewish people love the dove. There are many symbolic things about the dove. There are many writings about the dove. But here the Spirit is descending. Did it look like a dove? Or did it just descend? We don't know, but we have the word that says, like a dove. And it rested on him. And then a voice coming from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Folks, this is an expression of divine pleasure. God is pleased with who he is looking at. Man, can you see the relationship here of the Trinity? There are many religions out there, unfortunately, that call themselves Christians that don't see this relationship of the Trinity. I mean, we got Jesus standing in the water. You got the Spirit descending from heaven, resting upon him like a dove. And you got the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son. I am pleased with my son. You have the Trinity at work here. So, did anyone else witness this? Could, have, could, could, could anyone else have seen or heard what Jesus and John did? Because you know what? We do not know about anybody else. 
We don't know if they saw or heard, but we do know that John the Baptist did for sure. And there was, this is the reason. Look at this. In John 1, 32 through 34. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. It was confirmed through the pleasure, God's absolute pleasure of seeing his son. It was confirmed to John the Baptist, this is the one. This is him. And you know what? This is why the next day John could say this. He could say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How would he be able to say that unless it was confirmed? It was a beautiful thing that happened at that baptism. God knew exactly what he was doing, and Jesus was following obediently with the Father's timeline and his will. So this confirmation, by the way, behold the Lamb of God, this confirmation would be a very important statement for the two disciples to hear, which I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes. We'll get to that. But the Father confirmed the Son, John witnessed it, and this is who John the Baptist all along was making preparations for. He was preparing the people for Jesus. And then what happens next? And next, Jesus would face the enemy. He faced Satan himself. He would endure temptation, folks, for 40 days. Now, I'm going to tell you, redemption is a costly business. It is a costly business. The cross for sure, but also everything that led up to it. Was Jesus ready to take God's path to the throne? Would Jesus be able to withstand Satan? Would Satan, you know, Satan would have loved to trick Jesus. If you, we don't know all the temptations. We only have a few. But you realize Satan would have loved to trick Jesus into taking a shortcut. Or to have Jesus deviate from the path that God had. He would have loved it. He tried. But this was the testing ground for Jesus. It really was. Would Jesus continue to follow the Father's will at such a price? No shortcuts? Would, would, would he take the path that was long? The path that's weary? The path that's rugged? The path that's blood-stained? Would he choose this path? Or what the devil was trying to present. Well, of course, he would choose God. Absolutely. Jesus, of course, was victorious in this encounter. We have it in Scripture. Victorious. Proving that he was the pleasure, once again, of the Father. The Father was pleased. And enduring, Satan's, enduring uh, what Satan was planned, his scheming and, and his attacks, they further proved that Jesus is indeed the Messiah who the Old Testament pointed to all along, and, and it proves that God was absolutely pleased to confirm his son that day to John the Baptist. That's where we're at. Let's talk about the preaching, though, because we're going to get to our key verse here. Look in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. Let's look at 14 and 15. 
Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the words now after, now after, this tells us that a certain amount of time has passed between the temptation of Jesus and when John was arrested. There is a certain amount of time here. So when we look to all four gospel accounts of the beginning of Jesus' ministry and how it flowed and continue on, we get a much better understanding of what now after actually means as far as a timeline. Mark doesn't introduce everything. John doesn't introduce everything. But when you take all the accounts and you can see the full story. See, Jesus had been conducting, uh, he had been conducting a baptism ministry in Judea prior to this. Because John would still continue his work before he got arrested. Now, after the arrest, Jesus was presenting and proclaiming the gospel in his Galilean ministry, where he returned. There is a time. There is a time element there that we have to remember as being filled. So this is what he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is our key verse for today. <clears throat> that verse right there is our key verse. John may have been silenced by being put in prison. John may have been silenced by being put in prison at the height of his youthfulness in his ministry. That's the truth. But there was another there's another who would take up the great work that John had paved the way for. And this was his work in preparing the people for Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The long-awaited, the long-expected, the long-promised kingdom of God is here. All that was promised And all of those people who looked forward in faith to this time, it is here. I mean, we're going back to Abraham, folks. He looked forward to it. All those of faith, here it is. Now, I'll tell you, the Jews expected someone completely different. The Jews were expecting a royal, a prince, an armed soldier, a leader that was going to take back what was rightfully theirs. Oh, yes. No more oppression. We're going to conquer. We're going to take back what ours, what's ours, excuse me. But that was not the kingdom of God. That was not the kingdom of God that was being fulfilled. Uh, what Jesus came to establish was not in the realm of the political. It was not in the realm of the military. It was spiritual. It was a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom is not only earthly. Not only earthly. The kingdom is not only heavenly. Folks, it is eternal. Now hear me out here, because I want to explain the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom whereby God rules by His Son through His Word. The kingdom is about God's full reign. Like it was in Eden before the fall. God's full reign. As sovereign Lord, 
as king of kings, it is his spiritual rule, if you will, over the hearts and lives of those who are willingly, who willingly submit to his authority. That's what the kingdom of God is. This is what Jesus was establishing, and this is what is at hand. In fact, if we look at Matthew 6.10, you've prayed this probably. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, here on earth, as it is in heaven. His kingdom is where his will is carried out. And I'm going to get more into that in just a sec. What Jesus initiated on earth, what he initiated on earth, wherever God's will is carried out, the kingdom of God is a reality. Is it a reality in your life, though? That's the question. Because if the kingdom of God is God's full reign, where his will is carried out, where his authority, the person, the servant is willing submitted, is that happening in your life? That's a question you have to answer. Listen, it's not fully manifest yet. The kingdom of God is not fully manifest. It wasn't in Jesus' time. It wasn't in ours. We do not yet live in a world where God's will is a complete reality, and we all know that. But I will tell you this, we will. Just not yet, but we will. Like the verse I just read in Matthew 6.10, talking about your will be done here, just as it is in heaven, we want your will to be done here. The focus of the believer should be that we see the kingdom of God as a present reality. That's our focus, Christians, that we see the kingdom of God as a present reality. We're not just sitting here waiting for heaven. We're not just waiting for heaven. It should be our desire to experience heaven here on earth, surrendering to God's rule. Now, I'm not saying we're going to experience the great heavenly things that, we get to, that we're, we're all hoping and waiting for here on earth. What I'm saying is His rule we should be experiencing here. And this is submission. This is surrendering. We are all to repent and believe. So we have not only the preparation, not only do we have the pleasing, but we have the preaching. And this is what John the Baptist was preparing the people for, and then Jesus brought it home with the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's move on. Let's do our last verses here, 16 through 20. Let's talk about the plan. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and uh, followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You know, the church began with a few simple fishermen. I love it. Ordinary men who would do an extraordinary work. This was by no means the first meeting between Jesus and these two pairs of brothers. A lot of people think that. But this is not the first time they met. Again, we have to remember, 
that when we remember the words, now after John was arrested, that part, remember there's a time element there. We have to remember that time had passed. So what happened was this. Let me get some water. John the Baptist had pointed out to two of his disciples, two of them, as Jesus walked by, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And these two disciples, this is God's sovereignty. This is his, this is, this is his work, providence, if you will. These two heard this identification, this identifying expression. And this identification happened after the baptism. This is why John the Baptist could say something so bold, because he saw the spirit of sin as God told him he would, resting on Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. So these two disciples understood who Jesus was as John the Baptist, who they were disciples of, pronounced this. And this is how John knew that he was the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. So the two disciples, upon hearing this, this resulted in them following Jesus. They followed him. Now, there were many miraculous works performed by Jesus, at, uh, such as the water turned to wine. That's a big one. We know about the wedding in Cana. That one happened and, and others. And this dated before this encounter at the Sea of Galilee. See, they followed Christ because they knew he was well worth following. That's why they could pick up and leave. See, Jesus did not choose the great. He didn't choose the noble. He didn't choose the mighty. He chose ordinary fishermen who were occupied and, and, and were faithfully pursuing honorable careers. I mean, the Bible tells us, it says, with hired men, this being mentioned, it's obvious that their fishing business was prosperous. This was a good career. They were doing well. They were leaving quite a bit behind when Jesus said, follow me. The called would become servants who would now cast their nets for men. But look at this. Look at the two from the very start. Andrew went and called his brother Simon. He went and cast the net for Simon, who would, be, who would become Peter, by the way. And then John went off, and he cast the net, and he fetched his brother James. See, these two began fishing immediately, which fits in perfect with the book of Mark, with immediate action. But the immediacy of their response when Jesus says, follow me, at the shoreline, at the Sea of Galilee, follow me, the immediacy is this. It's urgent. It's urgent. Jesus' message about the kingdom of God being at hand and the level of commitment that it required. This was an urgency. It was immediacy here. And their allegiance, their allegiance to whatever and to whomever was transferred to Jesus because that's who they followed. Transferred to Jesus. Now, they knew Jesus, and we know that another reason we know this, they asked no questions, they made no excuses, they followed. Now, we have the preparation for Jesus' ministry through the work of John the Baptist. We have that. We have the Father who is pleased with His Son. He, Jesus is His absolute pleasure, and we see this as He is confirmed in front of John the Baptist. We have that. We have the, the preaching of both John, who prepared God's people for Jesus, and we have Jesus' ministry, the message, repent and believe in the gospel. 
And now we have the plan, the plan unfolding before our very eyes, servants who would carry this work on after Jesus leaves this earth. They didn't know it at the time, but God knew. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Church family, how shall we become fishers of men? I'm going to tell you something. It's not by our intellect. It's not by our cleverness or wit or skill. The Bible says, I will make you become fishers of men. Our Lord says, I will make you. Can't pass that by. I will make you. See, Jesus equips you and I. Jesus equips and trains us for what is needed. If we want to be successful fishers of men, we must go to Jesus Christ for the necessary qualifications. It is not by our might. It is not by our power. Just as the disciples were a part of God's plan, and we see that in Scripture, so are we. As believers who have repented, as believers who have believed in the gospel, as believers who have been blessed to have had a path made for the arrival of Jesus in each of our lives, as believers who made room for Jesus upon his arrival in our life, we are a part of his plan. You would not be sitting here today if you were not a part of God's plan. You allowed the arrival of Jesus. You made room for Jesus in your life. So, what are we going to do with that? Well, today, we have looked at the beginning of Christ's ministry. One that has stood the test of time, by the way, to present day, to right here, right now. What we read about with John the Baptist and the two disciples and following Jesus, and now get out of the boat, you're coming with me, the beginning of ministry, that has continued on to right here, right now. We're right da- we're smack dab in the middle of it. We're part of it. And this is where we find ourselves. See, the kingdom of God is an absolute reality for the Christian believer, just like it came, became for these disciples. And what is that? His kingdom is where his will is carried out. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, as servants of Jesus Christ... Are we allowing his godly reign to rule over our lives? If you believe the kingdom of God is at hand, you are allowing that. Is he your spiritual ruler? Is he your king? Is his will your will? Questions you have to ask yourself to identify if you are living in the kingdom of God which is at hand. Are we submitting to the king? Listen, if this is the case, let him make you a fisher of men. Just as he did for the four men that we looked at today in Scripture. They were fishermen, but they were not fishers of men until Jesus said, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And he does the same thing for us. Folks, we are to be casting the net, casting the gospel message. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So let's follow Jesus today and from this point on. Let's surrender to the will of God and let's continue his ministry. 
his ministry of teaching others to repent and believe in the gospel. So in closing, we have witnessed the preparation of Jesus Christ's arrival through John the Baptist, preaching and baptism, all planned by God, preparing the people for the ultimate Lord and Savior who would continue the teaching. John the Baptist would be killed. So we have the preparation. But then we have the pleasure of God, the pleasing of God, how he sees Jesus, confirming this is he, this is the one that the Old Testament has written about, the one you've been preparing the way for, John. Here he is. Then you have the preaching of John the Baptist, which falls exactly in line with preparing the hearts for what Jesus is going to teach. He's going to take it much further, much deeper. But people are now prepared for this. And then you have the plan. Jesus just didn't walk around by himself. There was an ultimate plan. And we see this starting to unfold in the book of Mark. And next week's going to be really good when you see this. We get to see Christ in more of a complete view. But with this, you get to see the plan of four fishermen following Jesus, leaving everything. Now, I'm going to tell you, all the disciples, they didn't die <laughs> natural causes. All right? They were martyred for what they believed and what they stood for. We have the same things. The preparation has been made into our life. If you're here, you made room for Jesus. You've been changed. You are part of the plan. Are you allowing God, or have you been, and this is a question for you to leave today thinking about, has this gospel, has this beginning of Christ's ministry, has it impacted you? Has it affected you? That's a question you have to answer. Because we see how it affected these four lowly fishermen who left all to follow Jesus. He did indeed make them. It was Jesus' work that made them fishers of men. Are we allowing God to do that in our lives? Because I'm going to tell you, if you're not, are you truly living in the kingdom of God because your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's your will, God, in our lives. Let it be done. Are we fishers of men? Are we casting that gospel message to others? Because we are continuing the work of the disciples who was continuing the work of Jesus who took over for the forerunner, John the Baptist, all under God's watchful eye. Are you impacted and affected by the ministry of Jesus Christ? If so, allow him to shape you, to mold you, and to make you into a fisher of men because we are called to do that. Mark is a book of action. I think we should follow suit. I think we should be immediate about our intentions. I think we should be people of action. So it could be a loved one, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could be a perfect stranger. But casting that gospel message, casting that net is what we are called to do because we live under God's reign. He's our spiritual ruler. His will is our will. And it all started right here in the beginning of Jesus Christ's ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your message, Lord. Father, I just want everyone to understand as we pray to you right now 
that my prayer for myself, my prayer for every other individual is that you complete us. You make us. Father, we can do many things on our own, but that's the same thing that they did at the Tower of Babel. Father, that's the same thing that uh, uh, the pagan world lived. I can do it myself. I can do it on my own. Father God, we know we need you. If we're to be fishers of men, you have to make us that. And we're praying right now, Lord, that you do that for us. Make us fishers of men. But we also know, Lord, the gospel account here tells us that we have to be living in the kingdom of God. That's what is hand at hand. We need to be living fully under your reign, submitting, surrendering to your authority in our lives, allowing your will to be our will if we are truly to get out of the boat and follow you. Father God, that's what I'm praying for for this congregation today, that we follow you and that we follow you wholeheartedly, knowing that it's surrender, that it's submission, that we serve you. And part of that service, Lord, is being a man and woman of God who speaks truth to people, casting that net, telling them the gospel message, Lord. We see the plan unfolding. We see the preparation and the preaching that was involved. And we know that it's your pure pleasure. Jesus is your pleasure. So we want to please you, God. We want to please you by telling others about your son. That's my prayer today, Lord. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.